All right, welcome back in. I'm, uh, I've made no secret of the fact that politicians tend to not be my favorite. I have found myself often just absolutely whizzed up by how many of them are rich, they're old, they had a fantastic career as a lawyer or as some kind of CEO, and they get millions and millions of dollars, and they're power hungry, and they go into these positions, and they stay there forever and ever. I do, however, have a soft spot, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat. For anybody who served in the armed forces, for anybody that goes almost directly into public service, they think they can make a difference. Whether or not they agree with me on the issues, I think is the point. The, the thing I hate most is going out to dinner with people who entirely agree with me. That is the most boring thing there is. But in the real deal category, there's a couple that stand out. One of them is our buddy Tom Barrett. Tom served 21 years in the U.S. Army, worked his way through the, the, the Michigan House, the Michigan Senate, lost by a, a fairly narrow margin to Alyssa Slotkin, is now back in the race looking to take over that 7th Congressional District. And Tom joins us now for two issues specifically. Tom, how goes it, pal? Great, Chris. Thank you for having me. Merry Christmas, and uh, really appreciate you having me on the show. Was that a Mannheim steamroller on the on the bumper music? <laughs> I, I'm not sure if it was. I'm doing a remote okay. broadcast this week, so I'm trying okay. not to hit okay. any buttons, and I can't hear all that well, but I can hear you fantastically. <laughs> well, good. Look, I, Tom, I, I, was, I but, uh, maybe your sound engineer knows, but that was great. I'm going to try and keep you around um, for at least this full segment. And if you're willing, maybe even another one, because there's two stories here that I think are, are pressing. One that just hit the press is a story about your opponent. And it's a, it's a wacky story in some ways, because I think that all of us on both sides of the aisle, we hate the idea that anybody could ever claim to be a person who's laid their life on the line for this country. If they indeed haven't, there is far, far less sacrifice that we see in the public arena. Mm -hmm. Fill us in on this story. I'm sure that you were kind of shocked to see this and it must just hit you right in the middle of the chest. Yeah, it really did. And I, and I really appreciate you having me on to talk about this. Um, my, uh, my opponent, Curtis Hertel, uh, was actually at a, a veterans day ceremony that I, that I also attended. It was in Lansing at our state Capitol. They were rededicating a, a monument that had been placed at the state Capitol about 40 years ago. And the uh, surviving widow of the man who was most responsible for that was there to do a wreath laying, and they had a remarks portion, and there were a number of people gathered for this. Uh, I was asked to attend and speak on some of my experience in the military as a veteran, and I was certainly proud to participate in that way. And after the wreath laying portion, when the remarks period began, I saw my opponent uh, come into this event wearing an official army uniform jacket, a jacket that I recognized having worn for a great long while during my career in the army, a jacket that was issued to tens of thousands, if not 100,000 or more troops in the army, I'm sure, very iconic uh, jacket that people would recognize. Yeah. And he's wearing this at, at this event, and he's not part of the speaking order in the program, and all of the other speakers at the event, except for the mayor of Lansing, were all veterans who spoke about their time in service and were reflecting on that and offering their thanks and, and recognition for other veterans. And yet my opponent somehow managed to get into the speaking order, and he gives remarks from the podium wearing this Army uniform, and he never served in the Army. And I think to most people, a, a person, especially on Veterans Day, wearing a piece of military issued attire or a, a army or navy marine corps air force otherwise yeah. 
any type of themed attire like that, it clearly gives the impression that you're a veteran, especially on Veterans Day. Yeah. But this wasn't just a civilian piece of clothing you could pick up to maybe show your support for that branch of service. This was actually an official uniform. And it is really tied uh, to the period of time during the, the war on terror and the war in Iraq. Like that, that period of years is really the approximate time under which this uniform was in effect. And I think it gave an impression to people there that, that he was a veteran and he never suggested that he wasn't, never said that this was another person's uniform. He later claimed that this belonged to his brother-in-law, which further complicates things to me that you would knowingly wear another man's uniform on Veterans Day while giving public remarks as a political figure, you know, it really is troublesome. And, and Fox uh, Fox News put out a story on this today. Um, we've uh, uh, seen a, an organized effort by veterans to uh, have an open letter uh, to Curtis asking him to apologize for this. I mean, it really is a a uh, just a troubling thing, and it, uh, it, it affects me. I get that. You know, my my background in the Army probably makes me more uh, alert to this type of thing, but it really I found it insulting to, to people sure. who's, who've served in the military, battle buddies of mine that served and took on great risk so that, you know, other people arguably wouldn't have to do that. Yeah. But that Look, I've always, that those people. I think know, all of us who have ever listened to you, spend any time with you, see you as a very kind of fair, um, measured, forgiving guy. I mean, you look at something like this and say, you know, at worst, this is an attempt to lead people to think that I served when I didn't. We've seen more egregious examples of that certainly over the years. I wouldn't call this one necessarily flimsy, but it's not as bad as some. On the other hand, at best, it's a really dumb, dumb thing to do, especially yeah. to not disclose it. Yeah. Right? And I think, you know, often someone pointed out to me recently that at the, at the state level, sometimes you can get away with some of these things because there's just not a big enough audience. There's not enough social media following to catch it. But when you were mm-hmm. running for a, for a national position, this is a really big misstep at, at best. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. And, and you're right. And the scrutiny is on you as you step into auditioning for a role like this. Last year, when I ran for this position, it, it ended up tying as the most expensive congressional district in the entire country. There was more than $35 million spent in that race. And I was heavily outspent in that, in that particular campaign. Um, but I will tell you, I mean, the amount of pressure and scrutiny that comes with that, and, and we ought to scrutinize people who are running for public office. I mean, look what happened with George Santos, right? I mean, he did not somehow evaded an appropriate amount of scrutiny. And, and the guy, I mean, I don't think anybody truly knows what his actual background is because we haven't been able to determine any of anything that is valid. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that this is an equivalent of that, but I am saying that there is a heightened level of scrutiny. We ought to scrutinize public figures who are running for public office. The arguably the most important role of a member of Congress, the most uh, significant responsibility that members of Congress have is to decide whether or not to commit American troops into conflict, to vote yeah. for war or for not. That's a real serious thing. Uh, people can go to CurtisPlaysArmy.com. You can join and sign the petition there if you'd like, because I think this is something that deserves attention. Tom, do me a favor. Um, I'll owe you one. Hang on for 10 more minutes. Let's get through the break. I want to ask you about the big three and the SOAR fund. Will you do that for me? Yeah, absolutely. All right, everybody absolutely. hang tight. Don't go anywhere. You're going to want to hear this. 
All right, back into it we go. Tom Barrett uh, has been kind enough to hang around. And like I, I've been saying for so long when, I, when I'm on the air, all we want is politicians that tell the truth and they're humble and they're working their butts off. And we happen to have one on the other end of the line here. Tom, I, on the other side of this story about the, uh, the Army jacket incident, stolen valor type case, can you unpack for our listeners what's really happened with these SOAR funds? Because I remember you absolutely taking it on the chin in a time frame where you couldn't afford to take it on the chin. You were very close in that last election. And now you look as though you'll, mm-hmm. you'll finally be representing Michigan. This SOAR fund that you voted against, everyone proclaimed this is going to help Michigan jobs across the board. I'm live and, and Freep and everybody said the same thing. And now it's being called one of the worst economic developments of the entire year as they're in hemorrhaging jobs, yeah. layoffs going on everywhere. Oh, like you said, it was going to happen all along the way. Yeah. I don't know that everyone really knows this story. So give what's the Cliff Notes version of how this went down? Yeah, thank you. And, and thanks for that uh, um, introduction, too. There was uh, a couple of years ago in the state legislature after Ford made the really bombshell announcement that they were leaving Michigan to, you know, set up this uh, uh uh, new kind of headquarters down south in Kentucky and Tennessee. There was this kind of panic going on between the uh, governor's office and some other legislative leaders. And uh, the governor kind of had some egg on her face over that because she was not aware that this was going to happen. Um, and so in the aftermath of that, they decided to put together a whole bunch of um, taxpayer money to put into a slush fund to go out and chase these uh, so-called job creators, and they were going to give them a whole bunch of money to come to Michigan to do that. Now, the circumstances around it, of course, are fraught with challenge. Uh, I had voted against setting up this fund because out of just sheer principle, I don't believe that it's appropriate for government to take your tax money or mine and go give it away to another private corporation. Uh, When I first came into the state legislature nine years ago, we actually took in about $850 million in business taxes in the state, but we were sending out an almost equivalent amount of money in corporate welfare giveaways to a very select, privileged, politically connected few corporations in the state. And I just did not think that yeah. was an appropriate use of state power and state resources. In the aftermath of that, all of these deals that have been done under this program have been very politically charged or have resulted in a very dismal showing relative to what they were promised. Uh, an example of that is the Marshall Ford battery plant deal that was just named the worst economic development deal of the year by the uh, Center for Economic Accountability. There's the uh, the Goshen uh, battery plant that has very dubious ties to the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party that was set up in Big Rapids uh, that is using taxpayer money for that. Um, Ford Motor Company took about $100 million in tax money uh, very quickly after this fund was developed. It said they were going to hire thousands of workers and actually laid off an equivalent number of workers that they were set to hire, yet they still kept the money that they received. So In your backyard. Things, yes, and then General Motors in my backyard uh, in uh, uh, the, um, the uh, plant in Grand River is uh, laying off workers there the GM plant that they were set to build a a new battery plant at, those weren't even, uh, they were paying over $160,000 per job in that deal. And they were going to be paying these battery workers 16 or $17 an hour. And yet General Motors was gonna get 150,000 or $160,000 per job. Uh, The economics on it doesn't work. 
Uh, it's not fair to take your tax money or mine and assign it to these things, especially with the track record of knowing they almost always fail or promise to deliver uh, on, on what we were told would happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's an unfortunate reality, but it's a, it's a point of distinction as people are looking at who they elect to office, who's going to stand on the side of the politically connected corporate, you know, uh, corporate attorney, corporate uh, lobbyists pushing for us to give them your tax money and who's going to stand firm even when it can take some political heat to do it because of the principle of the matter and how we run our economy in our state. Right. And this hurts, this kind of thing hurts Michiganders, regardless of what side of the political fence you fall on, whether you're big three or you're just an offshoot of the big threes, in some way, shape or form, your job often depends on, your local economy depends on the robustness of that part of the industry, which is why EVs, especially in this state, the EV mandate may be one of those single Mm -hmm. issue voter type things down the line. And I don't want to spend this time throwing uh, Curtis Rattel under the bus. I don't know the man. I have not had a chance to talk to him. I'd be happy to. I obviously believe in you quite a bit just because of your background and honesty with us over the last few years. But he was a big part of this. I mean, as a, as a lobbyist for Whitmer, you know, he's got NDAs and things with his name all over him about this deal. So does that stick in your craw a bit as a guy who said all along, despite the the, the dispersement you took for it, this is going to hurt Michigan. And now here we are. So what is his role in that? Yeah. Well, as a as a member of the state Senate uh, last term, him and I overlapped for the four years of the state Senate that I was serving. He signed a non-disclosure agreement as a member of the state Senate to confidentially gain access to these deals, while the rest of us who were voting on them were not privileged to know the behind the scenes. So you had some members of the legislature signing non-disclosure agreements and then voting and persuading others accordingly. And some members like me who said, I'm not going to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Frankly, the only non-disclosure agreement I've signed in my life was for my security clearance from the United States government. Uh, So I wasn't about to start signing them with private companies as a member of the state legislature. And then in his following position as a lobbyist for Governor Whitmer, he lobbied to get these deals across the finish line and directly engaged in confidential non-disclosure agreement conversations specifically with Goshen, the company with ties to the Chinese government that's going into Big Rapids. And, you know, I did vote against this and he voted for them. I felt right at the time. And I feel obviously with the evidence of what we've seen, you know, a bit vindicated on that. Uh, And this isn't for me to just take a victory lap. It is to really point out that we have to be so careful. It's so easy as a member of the legislature to think we're so much smarter and wiser than the people that came before us and the private economy and how it moves and operates and we can apply the people's right. resources to all of these things and they make you believe that that you're such a smart figure to be able to do all of that when in reality that's not our role our role in government yeah. is to keep people safe provide good infrastructure have quality schools for example we could have taken the original deposit into the soar fund we could have taken that same amount of money and paved a brand new road from the state capitol in lansing all the way to the mackinac bridge part of the way back and paid for it in cash and had money left over with no debt. With no potholes either, Tom. With no potholes, brand new roads. <laughs> but we didn't Listen, invest in infrastructure. We invested in these failed projects instead. Tom, thanks for spending the time with us. We wish, wish you the best. Thanks for being a truth teller. Please keep doing that. Stay humble, stay telling the truth, and keep working hard for the people in your state. We'll be back after the break with Chris Renwick. 
and hopefully we can fire it up just a touch before we throw it over to him. <laughs> 